ministry of Nelson Ihiago. Be stirred as you listen. We've been looking at the gospel. So one thing we've been looking at, first of all, is um, how the gospel is not... The gospel is not, um, it was not happenstance. It has always been God's plan from the beginning. Are you with me? It has always been God's plan from the beginning. How the gospel is not something that was a rude interruption or a rude interjection. The gospel is how God had always designed that man would be saved. Or it was God's plan because we see that the Bible says that, the, that there is a Lamb of God that has been slain from before the foundation of the world. Are you with me? From before the foundation of the world. And um, this thing is so important because remember when we looked at this Christocentric book, I saw a video on Instagram that really blessed me. Um, the guy said what we have been saying. So when I see people teach the same things that we have been teaching, I'm like, hey, I'm not losing my mind. We are correct. And these are the most important things. You know, he said something that was very striking. A lot of people, when they have not been taught to do Bible study, so when they approach God's word, they see every other thing but the most important things. They see every other thing but the most important things. So, because Jesus is the message of scriptures. Jesus is the message of scriptures. In the old covenant, there was his anticipation. In the gospels, it's his manifestation. In the epistles, it is the explanation. And then in revelations, is it revelation? In revelation, it is the consummation. It is the consummation. So if we read, many people approach scriptures for many other reasons. We approach scriptures to get a life hack, to get, um, um, tips and tricks to get whippy quotes on how to do life. But that's not the reason scriptures were given. Are you with me? The Bible speaking about Timothy, or Paul speaking to Timothy, he said, and that from a child that has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto what? Salvation. So, scriptures don't just make wise arbitrarily, or scriptures don't just make wise as they please. Or in any aspect of life. So that verse um, has been misconstrued. I've seen it being misconstrued. Um, we say scriptures make wise. But the Bible was clear. It said make, makes wise unto salvation. Second Timothy 3.16. It said the scriptures made him wise unto salvation. So there was a particular context that we see the wisdom, that we see scriptures making one wise unto. Please are you with me TC? Alright, there's a particular context we see, Doc, please, maybe you will touch a little bit for me. Praise the Lord. There's a particular context that we see, that we see how scriptures make, makes one wise unto. Alright, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. No, go back. Give me, give me verse 15. Uh-huh, uh-huh, no Bible now. He said, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So, um, the Christ is the message of scriptures. 
And the entire reason Jesus came was that man may be saved. So when we say that scriptures make wise, scriptures don't just make wise, they make wise unto salvation. So when people approach scriptures um, and they say scriptures make wise, it doesn't just make wise, it makes wise in a particular field. And that field is called what? Salvation. Salvation. So, one who studies scriptures will be wise in the matters of salvation. Please, are you with me? One who studies scriptures will be wise in the matters of salvation. And um, a lot of people, it, it's just like approaching your biology textbook. By the end of studying that biology textbook, you should be wise in the matters of biology. Are you getting me? You should be wise in the matters of biology. You shouldn't approach your biology textbook and be wise in the matters of physics. That's not why scriptures were given. Scriptures were given to make one wise in a path. And what exactly is spiritual growth? When you, the spiritual growth is maturity in the salvation we have received. That is spiritual growth. Maturity in the salvation that we have received. Because, um, and why is this so important? Because the, the Old Testament was about the one to come. The epistles was about the one that has come. The gospels is about the one that has come. The epistles is the explanation of the work of the one that came. Are you with me? And then Revelation is about the consummation of the entirety of the work. So when we look through the Old Testament, you see that all of scriptures, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, you read 24, 25, you see, you read verse 44, 45. He said, oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He said, know ye not that Christ was supposed to suffer all these things to enter into his glory. The Bible now says, I'm beginning at Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. He began to expound to them the things concerning himself. So Jesus from the law, from the prophets, from the Psalms, yes, from 24, 25, 26, 27, then you go back to 44. He began to expound these verses about himself. Why we are doing these teachings is not because um, there is no, it's not because other things cannot be taught. It's because if you don't know this thing, your Bible study will be flawed. And this is exactly why what I was saying. Um, hmm. The gospel is not any message that brings men to Christ. Please, are you with me, TC? The gospel is not any message that brings men to Christ. And that is exactly why it has the word the in front of it. Definite article the. Can I tell you something? I remember I was in a meeting. And... Someone was teaching on faith or entrepreneurship or stuff like that. You know, we have meetings where we teach on faith, entrepreneurship. We teach on all these things. And then when we are done teaching those things, we now say, for example, entrepreneurship. You know, a meeting of the saints, you are teaching business. And you now say, now, if you want the kind of favor I saw in my business to come upon you, you need Jesus. Come and receive Jesus now. Those people did not respond to Jesus. They responded to an appetite. Are you listening to me? They responded to an appetite. The gospel is not any message that brings men to the altar. Or brings men to the stage. The gospel is a specific defined set. A message 
You see, Paul was careful. He said, if, at, at camp meeting, we'll deal more with this. He said, if anybody gives you another message, apart from the ones, even if it's an angel, comes and tells you that which I did not teach you, huh? let him be accursed. Meaning, let him be anathema maranatha. At the coming of Jesus, let him be separate. It is so important. So when we talk about sound teaching, we talk about the teachings of God's word. It's not, it's not um, what you adhere to when you like. It is the lifeline of the believer. It's not what you adhere to when you like. It is the lifeline. So a lot of people know depth. I remember in, you know, when I was in uni, my final year, I asked someone, now, this guy was the vice president of a ministry. Alright? He was the vice president of a ministry. Um, but he was younger than me and he respected me and he honored me. And so I asked him, I said, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? He said, the gospel is... Um, ah, I, I can't remember. He gave one... I said, he said, the gospel is, you know, is the message of Christ. I said, what is the message? You know, is the is what we preach. What is it? What is it? See, many of us need to healthily deconstruct. When I, I said healthily, we need to ask ourselves: Why do I believe what I believe? What do I exactly believe? So I began to ask, and he didn't know what the gospel was. This is why Jesus came. Please, are you with me in this house? This is the reason Jesus came. This is the entire point we do ministry. And if you don't know the message of the one that sent you, what are you going to deliver? This message is not just any message like Manchester United scored as hard as it is to pass those messages these days. Henceforth, I'm a fan of Sporting Lisbon. Because... Man, you is stressing me out. I will not die young. United is stressing me out. Maybe I will go and be supporting hockey, a hockey team now, because I'm stressed. But anyways, we'll do NSPPD for Manchester United. I'm, I'm exhausted. But anyways, sorry, man, you has made me forget where I was now. Is that you see that club? God help me. Someone bought a Mayu jersey for me. I don't know if I should be using it to sleep because I'm tired. Because that's all they are doing now, sleeping. Anyways, yes, this message is not just is not just any good news. It is the good news. The eternity of all men hang on this message. Listen, when men are about to die or about to be taken away, they leave their most important words. Please, are you with me? When men are about to die or be taken away, they leave their what? Their most important words. Jesus. Please pay attention to me, everybody. Someone is on Instagram. You're distracting me. I didn't see you. You're in my spirit. I just know. You're on this side. Amen. Praise the Lord. When Jesus was about to leave the earth, Jesus said, I like the way when I come to you, you just bring the show that is good. Jesus said, go into all nations. Teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them 
command them to observe all things wherewith I have commanding, commanded you, teaching them the gospel. This is the great commission. And then he gave us signs to back this message. Now, if we focus on these signs, huh? we have exchanged gold for brass. We have missed what he sent us for and focused on what he sent us with. We've missed what he sent. So, 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 you see, <laughs> I'm speaking from my heart this morning as an introduction. You see, you guys know I'm, I'm at home with the things of the Spirit. At the minister miracles, normal. Are you getting me now? <laughs> so it's not a problem. But the thing is this. Oh, I can't be things coming. We will we'll collect. Praise God. But the thing and the thing is this. We are focused on, we have forgotten what he sent us for and focused on what he sent us with. So imagine, this is the context. Imagine God sent Moses. He said, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then he said, he told him, he said, with this rod in your hand, you will walk signs. And Moses said, how will they believe me? How will they know that you sent me? They will not believe me. He said, tell them that I am. Uh-huh. That's the word, a year. Was in my spirit that, that in the elevator. I, I was wondering, what Hebrew word is that? Tell them that I am sent you. And then Moses was like, he now said, put your hand, bring it out. It was leprous. Throw your, your rod, pick it up. It became a snake. Are you here? Pick it up. It became a snake. Now, imagine Moses focused on this, on the hand, the rod, maybe even the plagues and forgot to take the children of Egypt out. The children of Israel out of Egypt. That is what happens when we forget the message. That is what happens when we forget why we're in church. That's what happens when we forget. And then all we focus on is the bread that he gives and we forget the bread that he is. Or we forget the signs that he sent us with. We focus on the signs that he sent. This thin dog is playing, is entering the north side of my spirit. I love it. We focus on what he sent us with and forget the message he sent us to deliver. Hey, this message is not just any good news. It is the good news. It is the message that if anyone believes, you will say, now we know that we have eternal life. The message is so potent that Jesus spoke and it said, anyone's sin, you declare forgiven. I'm not putting money on your word. Anyone's sin, you declare forgiven, is forgiven. You know, that verse of scripture used to, they say, do, do we have power to forgive sins? No. The, if you check the other synoptic gospels it was used in, the context was in the Great Commission. So, the, the, basically what Jesus was trying to say, or what the person was recording is, if you preach the gospel to anybody, and they believe the gospel, on the authority of the word, you can say your sins are forgiven. Not will be forgiven. Not are going to be forgiven. Not in the process of being forgiven. Are forgiven. This is the message that brings the dead back to life. 
This is the message that, that brings the dead back to life. This is the message that when a man receives this goodness of God, that, yes, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm under the weight of sin. I'm under the burden of sin. I need a savior. I can't help myself. But you don't need to stay there. Someone did something about it. The Bible says we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we have he quickened. He has brought us to life. And that's exactly what we've been looking at in types and shadows. Imagine, this is what has been shared through scriptures, back to back. This is the message that he sent us with. Tisha, are you with me? This is the message that he sent us with. Uh, there's a song, just keep playing what you're playing, but you follow me. Um, all you said I will see you live in me and you walk through me all you sent me to do I will do Oromonisha fire tea all you said I will see you live in me and you walk through me all you sent me to do I will do or fire tea all you said I will see you live in me and you walk through me all you sent me to do I will do so the gospel is not just any message that brings men to Christ the gospel is the power of God unto salvation Ah, it's the power of God unto salvation it is the power of God you know um I've, I've, I've spoken with some people and it's a common mistake for people to say, if you want to see power, preach the gospel. That's not exactly what that verse was saying. Yes, you see signs to confirm the message, but that's not what that verse was saying. What that verse was saying is the gospel is not the way to power. The gospel is not the gateway to power. The inherent in the gospel is the power to save. Uh, it is the, if you are looking for God's power to save, Check inside the gospel. That's where it is. So many people have responded to, an, to altar calls. And they've responded and later got to find out the gospel. They later did. But what of those who never did? Do you know why this is so important? The gospel, like I said, is not the message that makes you sorry alone. The gospel is not the message that makes you sorry alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 4. I don't know why I'm in this direction today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 4. TC, are you with me? It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached 
unto you. Which also you have received and wherein you stand. Hold on. Hold on. Now look at this. What did Paul call it? He said the what? Come on, talk to me now. The what? It means that if it is the gospel, if you add to it or remove from it, it ceases to be the gospel and it becomes what Paul calls another gospel. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? It ceases to be the gospel and it becomes what Paul calls another gospel. So if I tell you, go into that hall and get me the pen. I didn't say get me a pen. If I, if I say you should come to the hall now and get me a pen, you could come here and say, who has a pen? And get me one. But if I say get me the pen, it means that there is a particular one I'm speaking about. And every other one you bring is not what I asked for. Are you with me? So it means that what Paul is trying to say next, it is the gospel. And anything that is added or subtracted from it ceases to be the message Paul is talking about. I remember one time the Lord was speaking to me and said, most times the reason why we don't preach the gospel as is, is because we don't think it's potent enough. So, most times, like Uzzah, we want to help God. We want to help God. So, so if I just say Jesus died, was buried, rose again, um, and then if you believe that, you are short of your eternity, you are like, it will not move people enough. So, under the sober song, I will now come and say, you are insane. You are sinning. You are stealing. You are lying. You are watching pornography. And those things are wrong. In the gospel, we are created unto good works. Are you listening to me? In the gospel, we are created unto good works. And those things are taken care of. But repenting from those things is not the gospel. So even in our confessions, we say, I believe um, Jesus died for me and rose again. I make a U-turn from my sinful ways. The gospel is not a traffic light. It's not about a U-turn. There are moral people that are not saved. Morality is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. The bragging right is in the message. Mm. Nobody will get to heaven and say, I made it. I've tried. This heavenly race, I've been running since. Nobody. Nobody will ever get to it and say, I finally made it. But everyone who gets into heaven will only kneel and see the awe of the mercies of God at work. Tisi, are you here? He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand. Uh-huh. He said, By which also you are what? Are you guys here? By which also you are what? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Next verse. So, verse 3 and verse 4 is what he's telling us the gospel is. He said, for I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also, what? Received. How that Christ died for our sins according to scripture. Next verse. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to scripture. Paul is telling us this is the gospel. This is the message. And anyone who believes 
on this he say so adding or removing from it adding or removing from it ceases to make it the gospel do you believe Jesus died for your sin and rose again? And of course, anyone who believes that Jesus dies will acknowledge his lordship. Are you listening to me? Will acknowledge his lordship. If that is true about you, you are saved. And any other message that brings men to Jesus that is not this message is not the gospel. Please, are you with me? Any other message, fear of hell, promise of wealth and prosperity promise of a healing and all those things is not the gospel it can the promise of a healing cannot be the gospel because god's final answer to sickness is not a healing god's final answer to sickness is a body that will never be sick again The gospel isn't any message that brings men to Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation. It is a specific message that brings men to their knees before him. It is the good news. When you realize what Jesus has done, you say how, you know, I had an interview during the week with a popular blog and the lady was interviewing me and she asked me, she said, why is it difficult for people to receive that they are saved and whatnot? I said, it's difficult because God's love is almost scandalous. God's love is prodigal. You know yourself, you are deserving of hell. But there is a God who knows you more than you know yourself. And yet he saved you. The Bible says he casted your sin in the sea of forgetfulness. He looks at you and calls you righteous. He looks at you and calls you holy with your faults, your failings. And then he says, we will work on this thing, but you are my integrity to protect. He keeps. So, I have seen so everywhere I, I pray about this boldly. This is this thing is why Jesus came. He came, he died, was buried, and he rose again. And he said, Anyone that believes in me will not die again. Will not die again. So I'm gonna run through this very quickly. We've been looking at these teachings. We've been seeing the gospel in different types, shades, shadows, and forms. We've seen it in the ark. We've seen it in different things. Please, are you here? We've seen it in the ark. We've seen it in um, Abraham. We've seen it in um, the Passover. We've seen it in all these things. Just to finally buttress my point. See. <laughs> the... To show you how serious that is, Noah was preaching to people and all he asked them to do was to enter the ark. He didn't say, change your ways. When you get into the ark, you will live according to the code of conduct. So also, I won't tell you to, to be saved. You know, a lot of people don't receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And they say things like, um, I need you need to be holy to receive the Holy Ghost. What is the ministry? What is his ministry then? 
What is he coming to do? But, it's clear, you receive, uh, you just enter the ark and death has passed. Just put blood on your lintel and death will pass. Just believe by faith and receive the circumcision of the heart by the spirit. And then it has passed. And then you will not just live right, you are empowered. You are empowered. Remember what I said in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He said, I'll give you a heart of stone, take out the heart of I'll give you a heart of flesh, take out the heart of stone from your flesh. But verse 31 says something profound. It says you will you will hate the things that you use. Give me Ezekiel 36, 21. Let me see. I'm not sure this is it. Hold on. Let me look for the verse. Yes, it's Ezekiel 36. No, 31, 31. I said 31, not 21. Yes, 31. Look at this. Go back to 26. Let me show something here. This is in the gospel. Please, are you here? In the gospel, what happens? A new heart has been given to you. A new spirit has been put within you. And I would take out the stony heart. Now, the stony heart was metaphorical of the sin nature. That nature that was that was drawing to sin. TC, are you with me? He said, I would take away. And that's why, you see, anybody who is a believer and still struggling with habit issues, just leave them. We will correct you, we will reprimand you when you have issues and all. But if they are ready to grow past those issues, ah, the one at work in them has the fan and the fire. It will burn the shaft with unquenchable fire. And that is symbolic of regeneration. You know, the ongoing work of sanctification, the ongoing sanctifying work of the spirit that work in the believer. He said, I will take away the, the stony heart. I am more confident in the spirit of God that work in the believer than I am of the habits they have. I'm more confident of the spirit of God at work in the believer than I am more confident of their faults, their failings, and their frailties. Because the one that saved them will keep them, but not just keep them, he will present them how? Faultless. Because he will, it is both a legal and a vital truth. It is legal in law court, but he's going to work it in such a way that it will also be true. Let me paint it this way. Imagine a prisoner was... Um, in the what do you call that thing? Anybody that's a lot, Nancy, that box is it witness where the prisoner stands and is chained? Hmm? Witness box. So imagine that Deshola goes to prison. <laughs> so I want to touch your head, but the angels won't think I'm joking. So no, that's what I'm saying. They won't know I'm joking. So I'm joking. So imagine a guy goes to prison. No, he's in the witness box. Immediately the judge says discharged and acquitted. Not guilty. Is he a free man? Talk to me. Is he a free man? But is he still in chains? But even though he's in chains, he has been declared what? Free. It's the same way God has called you righteous. 
there may be things you are struggling with, but you are that is just legally the man is free, but vitally he's still in chains. So right now the man may still be struggling, but over time, that sanctifying work of the spirit, that consistent flaming, you will see the man in two years and say there's something different about you. There is a work of the spirit that has happened within him. There's a work of the spirit that has that has happened in his heart. Look at this. This is it. He said, I will take it and I will give you a heart of flesh. That heart that did not like the things of God. Now, that heart is drawn to the things of God. Go, go to, this Because of this, verse 31 is now true. Give me verse 31. Look at this. He now said, then you shall remember your own evil ways. My wife knows her. Inside your marriage jokes, praise the Lord. Adesha, love, praise the Lord. Asha, praise God. <laughs> then you shall remember your own evil ways and your doings, said doings, that we are not good. Shall I you get in this now? And shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities. And your abomination. Now, because of the evil that you probably have done before, you who used to enjoy those things, you remember. Have you remembered the sin you committed before and you were ashamed? It was like, ah, somebody just saw you naked. I think Allah doesn't mind, but <laughs> it's like somebody just saw you naked and you were like, oh my God, how could I? How could I? That is it. Because your heart has been changed, you will remember evil and be disgusted. I wish this was a teaching on this thing. I will do. I have a sermon title I will teach. I don't know where I will teach it. Try the spirit. Try the spirit. Are you just hanging there? Try the spirit. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Bokata Vadabaladash. Let's start from verse 35. Hebrews 10 It says, did I say 25? 35. It said, it's like when Tofumi hears me, he subtracts 10. Cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. First of all, when he said this, what he means is that don't throw away what you are looking forward to. Is that right? Because when he says, cast not away your confidence, this is, the, this is what you tell somebody that is looking forward to what is coming. Please pay attention. We're doing Bible study here. Verse 36. Which had great recompense of God. He said, for you have need of what? That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Next verse. He said, for yet a little while, he shall, yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come. 
and will not tarry. And will not tarry. Hold on. It means yet a little while. Who that shall come will come and will not. So again, when you look at cast not away your confidence, he's basically pointing them to something that is to come. True or true? There's a reason why this is important. True or true? Uh-huh. Give me verse 38. He said, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. When you read verse 37 in the light of verse 38, what it means is faith holds on to what is to come. Are you paying attention? My soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 39. He said, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Why? Because we are people of faith. We are the just. In fact, that word when he says the just shall live by faith is the just, the just man by his own faith shall live. A justified man lives by faith. I.e., a man who has been declared just looks to what is to come. This is, this is important. Next verse. Yes, Hebrews 11, next verse. The Bible was not written in chapters and verses until 1555. Between 1553 and 1555. So, when you read the epistles, you read them, it is a letter. You read them as a continuous flow of thought. Now, having said all he had said prior, pointing them to what is to come. Do you know what he said? He now said, now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, when he says now... You know, a lot of people misunderstand this verse and say, now faith is, meaning faith is now. But that's not what it is. Abraham was in faith for 25 years. How now is that faith? He said, now. So, having said, cast not your, away your confidence for he has great recompense of reward. You know, we are not of them that draw back. He now said, having said all I have been saying, now. So now I want to explain something on the premise I have set before. He said, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Give me in NLT. In NLT. For thou, Lord, art a shield for me. You are my glory and the lintar up of my head. For thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory and the lintar up of my head. O Mahasana, for thou, Oh Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter up of my head. Yeshua, Amashia, Lion of Judah, Agunetemba. Yeshua Hamashiach Lion of Judah Agudechemah 
the reality of what we hope for, for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, we just mouth this verse and we are not exactly sure what this verse means. Now, there are two contexts in which faith is used in the Bible. There is charismatic faith, meaning where you trust the Lord for a healing. And then there is salvific faith, meaning where you place your faith for salvation. So, there are many words in scriptures that they usually have one underlying meaning but have different contexts they apply to. Words like grace. Paul talks in Ephesians 3. He talks of the grace of God that has been given. Doc, you can rest if it's, if it's fine, if you want to. He said, he said um, Paul talks about the grace of God that was given to him for the sake of ministry. In Ephesians 3. Then, Paul said, the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny worldliness. In that context, there is the grace of God, but it doesn't just save or it doesn't empower like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. That grace is the grace that teaches. But then there's definitely the grace of God in salvation. So this is grace, but three different contexts. So there's um, charismatic faith. When you are believing the Lord, for a healing. So, when we look at the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I but what? Touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So, she had a conviction and she knew what she was looking forward to. So, she knew that if I touch, I will be whole. That thought in her mind is substantiation of her hope. Are you listening to me? Is the substantiation of her hope. Is her hope being made substance? Hope is what we look forward to. So basically, what is faith? Faith is a conviction of an expected end. Meaning, I'm holding on to what I'm expecting for. But look at what it said. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and then it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, when you keep on reading, you go to verse 2. He said, for by it, the elders 
obtained a good report. There's something I even missed. Um, yes, we go. I didn't miss it. But in that Hebrews ten thirty seven, when he said, "A little while and he shall come," who is the he? Come on, talk to me. Who is the he? The he is Jesus, right? He said, "A little while and he shall come." Then you now go to verse eleven one, and that says, "Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and then the evidence of things not seen." So he, what he was pointing all of them to, the faith that he was pointing all of them to was conviction and an earnest expectation of a Messiah that was to come. An earnest expectation of a Messiah that was to come. For by it, the elders obtained a good report through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the power of God. But look at what he now said. Remember, is is in Hebrews 11 we are reading. When he talks of Rahab, he said by faith, Rahab did what? She, she saved the spies. And that is, when we read Hebrews 11, we see these things are typifications of putting our faith in Jesus. How did Rahab get saved? Rahab said that that God who splits the Red Sea must be the God of the universe. And because he must be the God of the universe, when these people are going to pass through Jericho, if we don't let them go, their God will give them the land. Therefore, I'm going to be on their side. By faith, Noah built an ark. The Bible says rain had never fallen in that time before. Right? I think it's Genesis 2 4, Genesis 4 3 that said dew always came from the ground to water. But Noah had never seen rain before. But Noah did what? He still built a boat that was three stadia long. He had never seen it before, but he still built it. You look at many people, Abraham, um, etc., etc. By faith, they did those things. But when we look at all their story, one thing we see about faith is faith has actions. When it says faith, it says four two. Check, I think four two. I'm not even sure. It said faith. Faith has actions because you have. Ah, wow, it's somewhere there. I promise. I can I quoted it last week. I forgot it. Faith has actions, i.e., like I explained, you can't say you are in faith and not have works. Now, works don't get you saved, but if you are in faith, there are actions you will show that will let us know that you believe. And if you don't have those actions, we can tell that you don't believe. Because faith, substance of things hoped for. So, in the context of the believer, hope was used in two contexts. Either it is the expectation of the Messiah to come in the flesh, or the expectation, meaning an expectation of the revelation of salvation, or an expectation of the consummation of salvation. The context of that he was talking about in Hebrews 11.1, 1, when he said faith is the substance of things hoped for. The hope he's talking about is the Messiah that the consummation of all things, because Jesus had already come. Are you listening to me? So when he says, faith is the substance, go back to KJD, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, it means that if we bring it to our context, the believer that is in faith is the believer that lives in NX expectation of his Messiah to come. The believer that is in faith will live, and that's why we can say anything not done in faith is sin. Because if you don't, if you do Something, anything you do that does not reflect an earnest expectation of a Messiah that is to come is sin. If you were, if you, for example, if I tell Shola to do something 
here and I say, I'm going to step out for 10 minutes. I'll be back in. Because he knows I'm coming, he will do only what I asked him to do. But a foolish servant, the words of Jesus, that does not know his master is coming, will live life loosely. And when a believer engages like that, we can't say that that believer is in faith. Now, because we know a Messiah is coming, there's a way we conduct ourselves. And one of the typifications we'll be looking at, the same Hebrews 11, give me from verse 8 to 10. Verse 8. Quick, let's run. We're going to pick up speed now. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed, he went out not knowing whither he went. Uh-huh. It says, by faith, he sojourned into the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Another translation says they dwelt in tents. The same thing with Isaac and Jacob. All these guys were heirs with him. Of this. They carried the same promise. Next verse. It says, he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So, they dwelt in tents because they knew that when God was, li- that dwelling in tent was symbolic of, they knew that where they were going was not a permanent habitation. So, because God was leading them, it was not going to be a permanent habitation. They were going to consistently and they were going to keep walking. Now, them dwelling in tent was a show of faith. The Bible says that Joseph, when he, he told his children, he said, when you are leaving, I mean, Jacob, when you are leaving, carry my bones with you. Carry my bones with you. Listen, there is a way a believer will act. You know, we've been talking about how salvation is by faith, is by faith, and it is by faith. But if you act like you have not been recreated onto good works, there's a kind of language you will use. There's a way you will consistently act, act out. And you act contrary to the nature of what you have received in Christ. We can argue that you are not saved. And will treat you as such. It's the biblical way. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Rahab rescued the spies. By faith, they lived and dwelt in tabernacles. By the man that is in faith, we will show him his works. The way the patriarchs, they knew they were looking for a city whose builder and whose maker is God. Therefore, they did not get to a place and build permanent structures. They stayed in tents. It's the same way for the believer because we are in faith, knowing the having an earnest expectation of the Messiah that is to come. We will not just live how we like, we will not live on earth in permanent structures, we will live in tents. Do you get what I'm saying? And I'm not saying live on the streets, what I'm saying is figurative in terms of you will not live like this is your last bus stop, you will live like you are a pilgrim and you are passing through here. Because I assure you, everything you have will die one day. And it's a fact. There's always next of kin. Everything we have will pass. So like the patriarchs, what he's saying that by faith, the typification of their lives is for us supposed to be a typification of how we live. They lived in tents we live in tents, figuratively. I.e., we don't live as if this is our last stop. Do you, are you, do you get that, please? We're coming to verse 
I'm going to help you with this verse. I'm sure many of you, some of you have probably been confused about this verse. Go back to verse 4. Hebrews 11.4. It says, By faith, Abel, now I'm coming to the sacrifice part of the teaching. You know, he sacrificed the serpent and the rest. It says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice by, than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was what? God testifying of his gift, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Quick question. Um, some of us are probably being taught that Cain's offering was rejected because Cain brought rotten crops, um, dead crops, and all those things. We're not told that. In fact, you can argue that Cain brought his best because he was a farmer. He brought his best and he was angry that God rejected his offering. So why will I bring my best and you reject it? But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, um, <laughs> the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. So the difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice was what? Come on, talk to me. Was what? Why was, why was faith the distinguishing factor? Simply put, Cain brought what? Crops. Um, Abel brought what? A sheep. Are you guys listening to me? It's not a trick question. As I'm asking, people are looking at me. It's not a trick question, I promise. He brought what? A sheep. The difference between both was one thing. One has blood, the other does not. And faith, i.e. salvation, has always worked with what? Has worked with what? Has worked with what? You're correct. One has. So when he brought something that didn't have blood, we can't say he was in faith. You can't say he was in faith. Where in the Bible has anybody offered any elder sacrifice to God that is not, that does not have blood? Do you know what the equivalent of that is? I can serve God my own way. A God you serve how you like, you are to them. Who is the them? Who is the them? No. No. People. No. There were people he was speaking about from Hebrews chapter 3. Hmm? Thank you. The Israelites in the wilderness. He said, the, this, okay, maybe because I'm reading NIV, KJV says, the same gospel that was preached unto us was preached unto them, but it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. It makes more sense now, because we've used it many times. Has been announced to us, just as it was to them, so the same gospel was preached to us as it was preached to them, but it was preached to them in types. It's preached to us in its fullness. But it did them no good, because they didn't share the faith of those who did what? Listen to God. Next verse. So the gospel will not profit you if it's not me. He said, for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I take an oath. They will not enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Next verse. We're going to verse 7. Let's just run. He said, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. So Paul is putting something in perspective. He's saying that that seventh day and entering into his rest are the same thing. Please, are you with me? 
Next verse. He said, but in other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Verse 6. He said, so God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. How did they disobey? Next verse. In unbelief, of course. He said, so God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is what? Today. God announced this through David much later in his word. This is Psalm 52, 7 or 55, 7, 53, 7. I'm not sure. He said, already quoted, today when you hear his, his, no, no, this is not this one. It's the one on rest. Don't harden your heart. Question. If, okay, you said we're going to 11. Next verse. He said, now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest to come. Uh-huh. So it means that the Canaan, where they were going to, was not the place of rest. He said, so, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Uh-huh. He said, for all who have entered into God's rest, have rested from their labors, just as God did. After creating the world. Verse 11. He said, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the children of Israel did, we will fall. Let me see verse 12. Just to be sure. Okay. Yes. So he's saying that the same way God rested from his works is the same way that anyone who believes the gospel, the way the children of Israel did not believe and were taken away from the rest. If you believe, you have stepped into God's word. Rest. So the Sabbath is not a day we have church. The Sabbath is a rest of God. If you believe the gospel, you are in the rest of God. You have entered into rest. And that's why the Bible says, it said, he that believes has seized from all his works and entered into rest. Say, I believe the gospel. I've seized from my works. I've stepped into rest. The rest is not a day we meet. So, when Paul basically says that even from the beginning that even as we know because God said that on the seventh day God rested. Maybe you've thought about it. Why would God rest? Is God tired? It's because God has always been speaking about the gospel from the beginning. Let me tell you another one. When the Bible says that um, what's this one? Cain, um, when man fell, God told Eve. He said the seed, or told Adam, the seed of the woman shall do what? Bruise the head of the serpent. You did biology. Women don't have seed. Is it true? Come on, talk to me now. Do women have seed? The woman has the ovum. The man has the seed that fertilizes the ovum. And the child is born. Is it true or true? Talk to me now. Is it true or true? Uh-huh. So who has the seed? The man. But he said the seed of the who? Woman. But at what point did a woman ever carry seed? Mary. Because a virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive. The seed will just enter the woman straight up. Are you here? The power of the Holy Ghost overshadowed her and a virgin shall conceive. So from the beginning, we had, been, we had seen the gospel being foretold. And that's why the seventh day can also apply here. Do you get this? So I said rest in the beginning was a futuristic decree of rest in Christ. That's resting from your works and resting in what Jesus has done. Um, just as the seed of the woman was Christ. And finally, John chapter 3 from verse 
14. Doc, maybe we can have you now. John chapter 3 from verse 14. John chapter 3 from verse 14. Yeah, you guys, you guys are still getting used to me being back. It's not OSM. I'm not used to long teaching again. Amen. Look at what it says. Verse 14, he said, are we live? Okay. He said, and as Moses, give me verse 12. Let me, let me read the context. Verse 12. Let me see 13. Okay. Let, let's read from 14. This is the triumphal entry. Verse 14. Eh? Sorry, what were we reading? Go, bro, John 3, 14. Then I said, let me see verse 12. I said verse, Avi. Okay. He said, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Next verse. He said, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. This is why we believe Jesus when he speaks of things of eternity. Next verse. He said, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be what? Next verse. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, I think the next verse is something. Okay. A, a, another account of this story tells us that when Jesus was speaking of his lifting up here, he's not talking of praising him. He's talking of his death. You know that song, that one that many worship leaders use, you know he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. The next verse says this, he spoke of his death. The lifting up there is not worship, it's his death. Amen. So he said, go back to verse, verse 14. He said, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be what? Lifted up. The way, let me give you the instance of Moses' own. Remember what we had been talking about in the ark. The ark, the ark is not just, um, the ark is not just or when, when Noah was telling, he told them the new covenant calls him a preacher of righteousness. But all he told them was come into the ark, not change. Even though in the ark you will be changed. The Passover, we didn't care who you were. The angel of death did not care who you were. All you had to have was blood on your lintel. Please, are you here? All you had to have was blood on your lintel. And all the other, Abraham, all he did was what? Believe. And he obeyed and took Isaac. Please, are you listening to me? So also, the story Jesus is talking about is that serpent had invaded the camp as judgment for their punishment. Just judgment. Remember we looked at how just judgment is last week. Just judgment. Serpent had invaded their camp and had beaten everybody. And Moses prayed and the Lord said, set up a brazen serpent. Anyone who sees if they just, all they had to do, like Noah's time, all they had to do was enter the ark. Like the Passover, all they needed was blood to be saved was to see. Imagine snakes had beaten everybody, but anyone that looked, their snake wounds would be healed, and they became fine instantly. It's the same way anyone who is dying in sin, all he needs to do is to look at the author and the perfecter of faith. 
if you look and you put your faith in him for salvation, you will not die. You will not die. So the same way the brazen serpent was lifted up is the same way the son of man was lifted up and all you had to do was to look on him and believe and then you are saved. Hallelujah. The gospel is not just good news to celebrate that. In the gospel is a lifestyle to model. Because he has saved us, we live for him. Right. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. Nelson Mihalwa Ministries is a mandate that seeks to see men saved, trained, and sent. For more ministry content, visit us at c.me forward slash Nelson Mihalwa. And for contact details, follow on Instagram at Nelson Mihalwa. God bless you.